Welcome back, my friends, to the Big Book Podcast. My name is Howard, and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since January 1988, one day at a time. In this episode, the 25th, 26th, and 27th stories from the Personal Stories section of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, published in 1939. These stories were printed only in the first edition of the Big Book and are entitled On His Way, An Alcoholic's Wife, and an artist's concept. Of particular note, An Alcoholic's Wife is the only story in the first edition written by the non-alcoholic spouse of a man who got sober through the help of AA, and along with Chapter 8, Two Wives, and Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, may have helped cultivate the later establishment of Al-Anon. Also, the author of the chapter, An Artist's Concept, prefaced his story with a quote attributed to the 19th century British philosopher Herbert Spencer about contempt prior to investigation. It's interesting that, although this story never made it past the first edition of the big book, the Spencer quote became a permanent part of the second appendix, entitled Spiritual Experience, that appears in the second, third, and fourth editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. And now, the original stories... On His Way, An Alcoholic's Wife, and An Artist's Concept. On His Way In early youth, I believe I had some of the tendencies which lead to alcoholism. I refer to attempted escapes from reality. At 15 and 16, although free at home to drink small amounts of beer and wine, I drank considerable quantities of stronger liquors at school and other places. Not enough to cause serious worry, but enough apparently to give me occasionally what I thought I wanted. Escape? A feeling of superiority? I don't know. I then decided that I'd had enough of school, which decision was probably shared by the schools. The next few years were spent in civil engineering work, travel, sports, and a little idleness and I seem to have avoided alcoholic difficulties of the more pronounced kind. Immediately before marriage, and in the short time before sailing for France, alcohol began to take a real part in my life. A year and a half in wartime France postponed the inevitable, and the post-war period of hopes and plans brought me nearer and nearer to the point where I eventually found myself to be an alcoholic. Not that I would have admitted it then, having the alcoholic's usual facility for deception both to self and others. Divorced, sometimes suspecting that drinking was the basis for most of my troubles, but never admitting it, I had enough left in health, interests of various kinds, and luck to carry on with considerable success. About this time, I stopped all social drinking. I became a periodical drunkard, the sprees lasting from three days to three weeks, and the dry intervals lasting from three weeks to four months. During the best years, I made a happy marriage, and the age of 35 found me with the following, a beautiful little home presided over by a kind, understanding, and lovely wife, a partnership in a firm I had helped to found years before, more than a comfortable income, many luxuries, and many friends, opportunity to follow my interests and hobbies, a love of my work, pride in my success, great health, optimism, and hope on the credit side. On the other hand, I had a growing, gnawing fear of my recurring trouble. 
I slipped by far too easy stages to the bottom in less than eight years. Not a pleasant place, the bottom. Sometimes I slept in a cheap hotel or a rooming house, sometimes a flop house, sometimes the back room of a police station, and once in a doorway, many times in the alcoholic ward at a hospital, and once in a subway toilet. Sometimes decently fed, clothed, and housed, I worked at my business on commission with a large firm. Sometimes I dared not appear there, cold, hungry, with torn clothes, shaking body, and muddled brain advertising what I had become, helpless, hopeless, bitter. Sometimes I was apparently on the way back, and sometimes writhing in bed for days at a time, terrorized by the fear of insanity, and by the specters of people without faces, people with horrible faces, people grimacing and laughing at me and my misery. Tortured by dreams from which I would awake with a scream of agony and bathed in cold sweat. Tortured by daydreams of what might have been. Dreams of the kindness, faith, and love that had been heaped upon me. Due to this last, however, and to what little remained of my former self, and perhaps to some lingering power of spiritual faith, I became somewhat better. Not well, but better. This helped me to take stock and to try and do some clear thinking. I found my inventory somewhat mixed, but as my thoughts became clearer, I grew much better and at last arrived at the point where, for the first time in several years, I could see some light and hope ahead of me. Through a haze of doubt and skepticism, I began to realize, partly at least, many things in myself which had greased the path I had pursued and some vague thoughts and ideas came to me that are now crystallizing with the help of the men I have been happy to join. What thoughts and ideas? The answer is short, although the road to it is long and tedious. My intelligence, instead of drawing me further away from spiritual faith, is bringing me closer to it. I no longer react in quite the same way when my will and desires are apparently frustrated. The simple words, Thy will be done, and the simple ideas of honesty and of helping others are taking on a new meaning for me. I should not be surprised to find myself coming to the astounding conclusion that God, whoever or whatever He may be, is eminently more capable of running this universe than I am. At last, I believe I am on my way. An Alcoholic's Wife I have the misfortune, or should I say the good fortune, of being an alcoholic's wife. I say misfortune because of the worry and grief that goes with drinking, and good fortune because we found a new way of living. My husband did not drink, to my knowledge, for several years after we were married. Then we started on an occasional Saturday night party. As I drank nothing except an occasional highball, I soon became what was called a wet blanket. The parties became more frequent, and more often I was left at home. I would sit up and wait for him. As each car passed the house, I would return to walking the floor and crying, and feeling so sorry for myself, thinking, here I am, left at home to take care of the baby, and him out having a good time. When he did return, sometimes on Sunday and sometimes a week later, it usually called for a scene. If he was still drunk, I would put him to bed and cry some more. If he was sober, it would mean I would say all the things I had been thinking 
and cry some more. He usually got drunk again. I finally went to work as the bills worried me. I thought if I worked and got the bills paid, he would quit drinking. He had no money in the bank, but would write checks as he knew I would pay them for the boy's sake, and in the hopes that each time would be the last. I thought I should have a lot of credit, as I was paying his bills, taking care of the house and baby, besides my work, making as much money as he was, doing without things I wanted so he could have a good time. I always went to church and thought I was living a Christian life. After my husband came in contact with Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought our troubles were over, as I was sure all our trouble was his drinking. I soon found out that there was a lot wrong with me. I was selfish with my money, time, and thoughts. I was selfish about my time because I was always tired and had no time left for my family's pleasure or to do God's work. All I did was go to Sunday school and church on Sunday with the boy and thought that was all God wanted me to do. I would be irritable and lose my temper and say all manner of things which usually called for another drunk and me pitying myself all over again. Since giving my husband's problem to God, I have found a peace and happiness. I know that when I try to take care of the problems of my husband, I am a stumbling block, as my husband has to take his problems to God the same as I do. My husband and I now talk over our problems and trust in a divine power. We have now started to live. When we live with God, we want for nothing. An Artist's Concept There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer the above quotation is descriptive of the mental attitudes of many alcoholics when the subject of religion as a cure is first brought to their attention. It is only when a man has tried everything else, when in utter desperation and terrific need he turns to something bigger than himself, that he gets a glimpse of the way out. It is then that contempt is replaced by hope, and hope by fulfillment. In this personal story, I have endeavored to relate something of my experience in the search for spiritual help, rather than a description of the neurotic drinking that made the search necessary. After all, the pattern of most alcoholic experiences fits a pretty general mold. Experiences differ because of circumstances, environment, and temperament, but the after-effects, both physical and mental, are almost identical. It makes but little difference how or why a man becomes an alcoholic once this disease manifests itself. The preventive measures adopted for alcoholic tendencies in the future will have to be found in a more progressive program of mental hygiene and medical research than is now obtainable. It is important that, at present, we believe there is only one sure pathway to recovery for any alcoholic. In my own case, I was not entirely ignorant of the causes that led me into excessive drinking. In a desperate effort to eliminate these causes, to find a means to better mental and physical health, I investigated the alcoholic problem from every angle. 
Medicine, psychology, psychiatry, and psychoanalysis absorbed my interest and supplied me with a great deal of general and specific information. It led me in the end, however, to the fact that, for me, here was a mental and physical disease that science had placed in a category of incurables. Briefly, all that this study and research ever did for me was to show something about why I drank. It substantiated a fact I had known all along, that my drinking was symptomatic. It did point out a road to better mental health, but it demanded something of me in return that I did not have to give. It asked of me a power of self-will, but it did not take into consideration that this self-will was already drugged with poison, that it was very sick. Intuitively, I also knew that a person constrained to temperance by the domination of will is no more cured of his vice than if he were locked up in prison. I knew that somehow, some way, the mental stream, the emotions, must be purified before the right pathway could be followed. It was about this time that I began flirting with religion as a possible way out. I approached the subject in a wary, none-too-reverent attitude. I believed in an omnipotent God or deity, but the orthodox approach through the church with its dogma and ritual left me unmoved. The more I struggled to gain an intelligent grasp upon spiritual development, the more confused I became. On the other hand, a purely materialistic viewpoint that postulated a mechanical order of things seemed too negative even to entertain. As an artist, I had spent too much time communing with nature, trying to place upon canvas or paper my emotional feelings, not to know that a tremendous spiritual power was back of the universe. There was, however, so much that seemed illogical or sentimental about religion in general. So many doubts assailed me, so many problems to be confronted. Yet there was within myself a strong and urgent desire for spiritual satisfaction. The occasional periods in which I felt a spiritual emotion, I immediately examined with all the ardor of the inveterate analyst. Was this emotion just a form of religious ecstasy? Was it fear? Was it just blind belief, or had I tapped something? Most men, wrote Thoreau, lead lives of quiet desperation. It was the articulation of this despair that led to my drinking in the beginning. Religion, so far, had only added to my desperation. I drank more than ever. A seed had been planted, however, and a short time afterward I met the man who has for the past five years devoted a great deal of time and energy to helping alcoholics. Looking back on that meeting, the simplicity of his talk with me is amazing. He told me very little but what I already knew, in part, but what he did have to say was bereft of all fancy spiritual phraseology. It was simple Christianity imparted with divine power. The next day I met over twenty men who had achieved a mental rebirth from alcoholism. Here again, it was not so much what these men told me in regard to their experiences that was impressive, as it was a sense or feeling that an invisible influence was at work. What was it this man had and these other men exemplified without their knowing? They were human, everyday sort of people. They certainly were not pious. They had no holier-than-thou attitude. 
They were not reformers, and their concepts of religion in some cases were almost inarticulate. But they had something. Was it just their sincerity that was magnetic? Yes, they certainly were sincere, but much more than that emanated from them. Was it their great and terrible need, now being fulfilled, that made me feel a vibratory force that was new and strange? Now I was getting closer, and suddenly, it seemed to me, I had the answer. These men were but instruments. Of themselves, they were nothing. Here at last was a demonstration of spiritual law at work. Here was spiritual law working through human lives just as definitely and with the same phenomena expressed in the physical laws that govern the material world. These men were like lamps, supplied with current from a huge spiritual dynamo and controlled by the rheostat of their souls. They burnt dim, bright, or brilliant, depending on the degree and progress of their contact. And this contact could only be maintained just so long as they obeyed that spiritual law. These men were thinking straight, therefore their actions corresponded to their thoughts. They had given themselves, their minds, over to a higher power for direction. Here it seemed to me, in the one word, thought, was the crux of the whole spiritual quest, that, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, and so is his health, his environment, his failure, or his success in life. How foolish I had been in my quest for spiritual help! How selfish and egotistical I had been to think that I could approach God intellectually! In the very struggle to obtain faith, I had lost it. I had given to the term faith a religious significance only. I had failed to see that faith was our common, everyday manner of thinking, that good and evil were but end results of certain uniform and reliable spiritual laws. Obviously, my own thinking had been decidedly wrong. Normal most of the time, it was abnormal at the wrong times. Like everyone's thinking, it was a mixture of good and bad, but mainly it was uncontrolled. I had been sticking my chin out and getting socked by spiritual law until I was punch drunk. If one could become humble, if he could become as a little child, before this powerful spiritual thought force the pathway could be discovered. The day I made my first efforts in this direction, an entire new world opened up for me. Drinking as a vicious habit was washed completely out of my consciousness. I have never even been tempted to take a drink since. As a matter of fact, there are so many other things within myself that need correction that the drink habit looks silly in comparison. Please do not assume that all this is but an exposition of spiritual pride. A chart of my spiritual progress would look like the graph of a business that had been hit by everything but an earthquake. But there has been progress. It has cured me of a vicious habit. Where my life had been full of mental turmoil, there is now an ever-increasing depth of calmness. Where there was a hit or miss attitude toward living, there is now a new direction and force. The approaches of man to God are many and varied. My conception of God as universal mind is, after all, but one man's approach to and concept of the Supreme Being. To me, it makes sense, opens up a fascinating field of endeavor, and is a challenge, 
the acceptance of which can make of life the adventure magnificent. This concludes the reading of On His Way, An Alcoholic's Wife, and An Artist's Concept from the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful you listened. Stay tuned for the next episode, featuring the last two stories from the original big book, entitled The Rolling Stone and Lone Endeavor, as well as my reading of the original appendix at the end of the book. If you're new to this podcast, please note that all 11 chapters of the main section of the big book are in earlier episodes that you can listen to anytime. Download and subscribe for free to the Big Book Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen on our website, bigbookpodcast.com, where you will also find transcriptions of chapters in the main section of the Big Book. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be super grateful if you can leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. And please, share this podcast with your friends and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. Mm-hmm.